The Education Apple, Episode 15, recorded on Thursday, May 9th, 2013. Welcome to The Education Apple. This is Bill Brazil, your host today, and this is the show that discusses Apple technology in the formal classroom as well as in the classroom of our daily lives. We run into technology pretty much everywhere we turn these days, so we like to uh, talk about it and try to help us understand and make better use of the technology that we deal with every day. So that's what we are here to talk about today, and along with me, uh, we've got uh, Barrett Mossbacker. He is the superintendent at Briarwood Christian School, and he also is a publisher on the Christian School Journal blog. And um, Barrett, good to have you in with us today. You doing okay? Bill, I'm doing great, and as always, uh, delighted to be with you this evening. Good, good. Yeah, I took a look at uh, your Christian School Journal the other day, and it looks like you have a lot of uh, good articles out there, and you've got a number of um, guest uh, contributors as well. You spend a little bit of time with that every week, or how do you manage that? Uh, I, no, I wish it was every week. I don't have that kind of time, but uh, I uh, I will collect articles and ideas, and then uh, I might spend a, an hour or so on a Saturday morning composing a, an article and publishing it. Um, I do think I'm making uh, one mistake or uh, something I need to adjust, and I think my article's a bit on the long side for blog purposes, and so I'm working on a new one called uh, "Why I Have Why and How I've Gone Paperless." And I think I'm going to make it in short, four short segments uh, rather than a longer article. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoy doing it and uh, get a good response from it. And I have uh, readers from about, I think, about five or six different countries that uh, read the blog. So. Oh, very good. Yeah, maybe if you just broke uh, broke up your long articles into segments and put them out there week uh, a week at a time or something that would uh, would be another way to do that. I did notice your, your last one that you had out there was pretty lengthy and uh of course it was a subject uh, uh something along the educational lines that um I didn't take the time to read all the way through it so <laughs> but uh yeah it looked like you had spent a lot of time with it well and I think that's that's part of the issue I need to shorten those so uh, I think that's better I even catch myself if I run across other people's blog articles I tend to read them much more readily if it, you know, it's a pretty pretty succinct as opposed to really lengthy. So right, right, and that's kind of what we try to keep in mind here as well, because um, it's easy to talk all evening long if we're not careful. So um, we need to try to cover a lot of topics in a, a succinct manner. So we'll go ahead and jump into it today. And uh, our first segment is about uh, technology in the news and kind of a review of some of the highlights of what uh, has happened in the last week or so. And the first thing that jumped out to me this week was uh, an article that said, Bill Gates stupidly says a lot of users are frustrated the iPad isn't a Microsoft Surface. And um, that's <laughs> kind of surprising <laughs> yeah. somebody uh, of his stature would say that because um, it's obviously very biased and uh, a lot of people were commenting that it's just a, a dumb thing to say. And I think it probably was, um, you know, uh, he, he, he thinks I think that uh, the iPad not having a physical keyboard is a major problem, which obviously 
it doesn't come with it, but you can certainly buy extra external keyboards to go along with it. In fact, you've got one, don't you? Yes, I, I have a case with a built-in Bluetooth keyboard, and, and I use it all the time to great effect. Yeah, so so that comment didn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, he did say that uh, people are frustrated it doesn't have Microsoft Office on it, which that uh, that's pretty true, but you, there are ways around that, and there are um, uh, products that you can use that can kind of mimic that. So that's not even a, a totally accurate statement, but... Uh, I think I think people are kind of getting used to the fact that Microsoft Office isn't available and are finding other ways uh, around that. But um, uh, you know, the business community would probably prefer Office to be available. But I, I think Microsoft's kind of held off on that on purpose, you know, hoping that uh, that would turn the tide a little bit to the uh, Microsoft Surface tablet. But it really hasn't um, because the I saw a statistic that only about 1.8% of the global market share is going to the surface right now. And I, my, my, uh, I have doubts that it's even that high. My guess is that's just really what has shipped, uh, not necessarily what has been purchased and is being used. I don't know if you uh, have other ideas along those lines, but that's my guess to that number anyway. Yeah, that that would be my guess as well. And uh, you know, on the Microsoft documents, yes, I think you know that's probably a bit more problematic, uh, given the 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 large number of enterprises that are using it. But uh, I, like I've said in a prior uh, podcast, I was a power user for almost twenty years, uh, and I haven't uh, opened up a Microsoft product probably in twelve to eighteen months. Uh, with maybe the exception of a very complex uh, spreadsheet, in which case uh, you can't beat Excel. But I have found I have really not needed Office. Uh, I can use other things, and if someone absolutely has to have it in Word format, I can export it immediately in that format with no problem, uh, including on my iPad. So I've just not found it to be a problem, and I suspect not as many people finding it as a problem as, as Microsoft might imagine. Now, having said that, if Microsoft really thought it was an issue – I would have thought that they would have been faster at putting Microsoft Office on the iPad because that's a product to sell at that point to lots of users. And I'm, I'm a bit surprised that they've been as slow to do that as possible, I mean, as they have, unless they view it as a strategic business decision in which they're hope that they're fearful that if they do that, that that will be a major disincentive to buy the Surface, which would be my guess. Right. Yeah. And and uh, if they're not careful, you know, people are going to get accustomed and get used to not having Office available and just start using uh, other products instead. So uh, I think they have been hoping that it would would turn a lot of people or more people towards their devices, but uh, it could backfire on them if they're not careful. So I bet we see them kind of rethinking that strategy a little bit and uh, potentially uh, coming out with something that uh, an office product that would run on the iPad, I wouldn't be surprised if we we did see that. Um, you know, when you think about it, Bill, I'm surprised they're not taking more of the approach that Google's been taking recently. And Google's been releasing some superior applications for the iPad. Frankly, some of which are better than the native apps. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah and I, it's probably just a mindset uh, that Microsoft has had, and you know they are in terms of the technology world one of the the grandpas out there so they really need to be careful and uh, kind of catch up to um, 
you know, some of the new ways uh, of doing business uh, related to the technology and software and all the rest. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. But I wouldn't be surprised if things, uh, I hope that, you know, for their sake, that they might make some changes in their strategy. Um, and they've uh, another article that uh, is floating around out there this week is that, uh, you know, they have uh, conceded that Windows 8 is struggling which uh, I think everybody else has <laughs> been aware of that, and it's kind of obvious. But for Microsoft to come out and and make that statement just after you know six months of of having that uh, version out, and that they're going back to the drawing board, that's uh, that's a pretty big uh, concession to have to make, uh, especially for for Windows. So. Uh, they're, I think they're trying to change some strategy and address software issues based on, uh, you know, the complaints that users have brought to them about, uh, Windows 8. And we've talked about it before, uh, that, um, you know, it seemed like it was complicated and, uh, hard to, uh, get a handle on exactly how the, uh, I guess the intro screen and their tile screen and all that, uh, interface with the rest of their software. So, uh, I think other people have been finding that that's been confusing. And so they're going to have to make some, some changes around that. And, uh, I believe that the update coming out is going to be called Windows Blue. At least that's what it is at this point. Uh, whether that's what they introduce it as, I don't know. But, uh, again, a pretty big, um, stumble for Microsoft to make, uh, in, in recognizing that and just, a short six months so you know i'm i'm a bit surprised that a company of microsoft sophistication wouldn't have picked up on those issues uh, with a lot of focus group testing i mean that surely they're doing that uh, and i would have thought this would have become pretty obvious to them fairly early on yeah um you know and i've i've mentioned this before i just wonder how much uh you know testing focus group uh that type of thing is done ahead of time these days just because they are really you know having to bring things to the market so quickly these these days just to keep pace with the market and try to beat the competition uh, out the door with new products so i kind of wonder if how much of that uh, uh, to market testing is really done ahead of time um and sometimes I think they think they may know better than, uh, mm-hmm. you know, their customer base, what, what the customers really want and need. So that might get in the way as well. But, uh, and another thing that I think is kind of interesting, and it just may show how difficult it really is to run the same software on all the platforms, you know, the laptops mm-hmm. and desktops, as well as the tablets and the phones. And that's what, uh, Windows 8, was attempting to do one of the things they were attempting to do and um that may have been a problem as well you know uh, apple has has gone and moved really slowly in that uh, area themselves they uh, obviously have still have two different operating systems on their handheld devices as opposed to their desktops and laptops so we have seen a uh, move to begin to bring them together, but it's really been pretty slow, and you know they've been very methodical about it. And I think that's an indication that they are really looking closely at how to best do that. And it can't just 
all be done at once, I don't think. So, No, and, and I'm thinking, too, one, that this is probably helpful to Apple and that they're watching what's happening and the mistake that Microsoft has made. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I think the other issue there is I just can't imagine too many people wanting to constantly have to uh, move their hands up off the keyboard and touch a vertical screen. It's one thing if your device is designed as as a touch device primarily. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when most of what you're trying to do in a Microsoft product is type, but then you're constantly reaching up uh, to touch a touch screen that's sitting vertically in front of you. Right. And um, and I think that's where Apple's been pretty careful, where they have brought over some of the iOS features, such as notifications and some gesturing, but they have done it in the context of a laptop and not trying to replicate the exact experience that you have on the iPad. So I think they've done a much better job with that. Right, right. And they're like I say, they're taking their time with it and uh, being real methodical. So um, maybe they have a little bit better handle on on what they're doing and that they don't need to just uh, jump straight into that and, and just take their time with it. So. Anyway, um, that's an ongoing saga. We'll we'll keep our eye on exactly how uh, Microsoft tries to right the the ship and and uh, make adjustments to uh, get back on course because uh, right now they seem to be uh, definitely drifting off course a bit, and um, um, that's you know that's not good for the the whole marketplace either because we need some good competition and. Uh, um, you know, they need to definitely keep Apple uh, progressing as well. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, another thing that was uh, interesting that uh, was in the news this week was um, one of Apple's ex-advertising uh, uh, gurus uh, spoke out a little bit on what he believes the uh, future of the iPhone is. Uh, and this was Ken Siegel. He was He's an ex uh, advertising guy there and he predicts that uh, the iPhone's biggest years are still ahead of it and I think uh, what he's basing that on is kind of uh, looking at the iPhone as following in the footsteps of the iPod and how the um, uh, lifespan of the iPod uh, looked uh, you know when it first came out the iPod was just one or two uh, versions and um, after they really nailed down the the beauty and the uh, effectiveness of the iPod, then they began to really customize it and uh, expand the product line around the functionality of the iPod. And uh, I think uh, Mr. Segal feels like the iPhone is going to be following in those same footsteps. And now that uh, it's really got uh, a good you know, foothold on the market and how it operates, then it's going to begin to uh, change uh, footprints a little bit. Maybe you have a a uh, mini iPhone or a uh, larger iPhone coming out in different colors and um, a, uh, a less expensive iPhone as well. I don't think he feels like they're going to go down the, the cheap path, but, uh, you know, there are ways that, uh, Apple uh, and, and, and steps they could take to make it less expensive with maybe a, a little bit smaller screen and a, a weaker processor and um, maybe just a 3GS uh, type of approach. So um, that'll be uh, interesting to see. I think there's definitely be, been some rumblings uh, in in the market as far as 
how uh, you know the iPhone is going to adjust and, and change. And uh, this guy may have a, a handle on some of that. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to imagine them doing some of those things and coming out with a lot of different colors and plastic backs and things of that nature. But uh, if you do kind of associate it with what happened with the iPod, then uh, you could see how that might might happen. So uh, yeah, except with the iPod, I don't recall it becoming a. Um a cheaper device, not not cheap, but in the sense of uh, lesser materials, for example, going into the device. So uh, m- my guess is that if they did that, I'd be surprised if they'd release that product necessarily in the United States. I could see it in emerging markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of their, but on the other hand, one of their great advantages to doing that is they'll pick up a little bit more of the mid-range to lower range that Android takes up now. And they can bring people into their ecosystem uh, with uh, for music and everything else. So I, I suspect that's a big part of their their thinking. Yeah, I do think though that um, they'll they'll be pretty uh, careful with what they release uh, in certain markets, like you're saying overseas, maybe and, and uh, uh, other markets. Uh, they might offer different devices than what uh, is available here in the U.S., but. They, it seems like they've got a lot of opportunities anyway, a lot of things they could do, and it's hard to kind of see that they would just continue with the exact same strategy that they've had up to this point. Because um, uh, a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of Android devo- devices out there and a lot of different flavors, and um, you know the iPhone could uh, compete directly with some of that if they did make some modifications. So. Uh, yeah, as, as long as long as they protect their brand, their their brand is known as premium, yep. uh, and I think they have to be careful, or they or they could lose some of that distinctive um, distinctiveness. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think still the the functionality of the iPhone over the uh, Android devices is still uh, you know head and shoulders uh, ahead, and uh, I think part of that is another thing that I noticed this week. And uh, some statistics that came out was that the uh, the iOS devices, at least in the U.S., make up over 60% of the mobile web traffic. So uh, iPhone and iPad users are, seem to be definitely more sophisticated, more engaged with their products than, uh, than some of the Android uh, devices and other devices. So uh, that kind of tells a little bit of the story as well. Uh, the statistics that I saw showed that Android, uh, their web traffic was decreasing over the last three months by about a percentage point each month. So it went from 29.7 in February to 28.7 in March, and then in April it was 26.5. And, uh, of course, the, the iOS devices were, were increasing uh, as far as their web traffic and usage during that same time. So... Um, that's another thing to uh, just kind of keep in mind. I think definitely the uh, iPhone uh, operates uh, much more effectively, and uh, from other things that I've seen, it just just works better. And um, I think that is reflected in, in these kind of numbers uh, as well. So that tells a little bit of a story about what's going on there. Well, let me ask you a quick question, Bill, before we move on to the next topic there. You know, you've got the WWDC uh, coming up in June, and there's been a lot of talk of Apple. You know, we were talking about making a a less expensive product. 
There's also a lot of talk about the redesign of the OS, particularly making uh, it a lot flatter, uh, more uh, more akin to maybe uh, the current uh, Windows Metro uh, look. Uh, do you have any sense of how that might affect uh, Apple um, diehards who used the product for many, many, many years and are used to the high gloss? And yeah. I, I really don't. I know it's hard for me to kind of picture what they're really talking about there, but I do think that um, a a big change just kind of reinvigorates people. I mean, people like uh, like change. I think when it comes to this type of of uh, issue, and uh, it's just kind of fun to see a new look and feel. And I'm sure whatever Apple does, I think Johnny Ive is dri- is driving the um, the uh, redesign and the new look of uh, what what they're coming out with. And you've got to have a lot of faith in him because he's really <laughs> hit a lot of home runs, you know, in the past. So I, I really can't picture what it what it's going to look like, but um, I've got to believe it's going to be well done, and uh, I think it'll kind of be invigorating and and you know be fun to to see the changes come. So um, that's really. I haven't seen any mock-ups, or I don't know that there's much out there. Maybe people just don't really know what to expect exactly but yeah i think they're they're trying to do a lot of extrapolation from the wwdc's uh logo for the actual conference but uh that that uh that may be a hint of something but that's pretty dubious to try to make too much out of a a conference logo so yeah yeah it seems like these guys (laughs) that make predictions they latch on to any little thing that they can and uh, sometimes that works sometimes it backfires but Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of hard to to really predict, and I guess Apple is is doing a good job of keeping that close to the vest and and not letting uh, any of that information out. And uh, uh, I imagine they will leak it at the proper time if they want to. Otherwise, it's probably just going to be a a complete surprise when they uh, introduce it. So um, we'll just uh, watch out for that and see what changes changes they bring. So that'll be fun. Okay, the the next subject was um, had to do with Yahoo. We've talked about Yahoo <coughs> several times in in uh, the recent past, and Marissa Meyer is making a lot of um, headlines and the things that she's trying to do there and and shaking uh, shaking things up a good bit. But um, you know, they really want to get a premium video service in there. Uh, portfolio right now they really don't have that yahoo does not uh, have a real uh, high-end video uh, service and uh, they were trying to buy uh, daily motion uh, past few months and that that bid failed because that's a a french company and the government did not want yahoo to own uh, any more than i don't know if it's 60 75 percent of the company so that bid uh Fell uh, fell flat, and they weren't able to um, make that happen. So recently, uh, Meyer has uh, been talking a little bit to to Hulu, uh, and Hulu is is one of the um, more visible video services that are that are out there. And um, uh, I don't think it's gone very far, but I thought it was um, kind of telling that that uh, at least there's some discussion going on there. Uh, at least at a high level, and uh, Meyer has told the investors that, that video is really a key strategy 
um, for their future. So I think they definitely would like to um, to get something going there. They've they've talked, uh, you know, looked at some smaller video sites too, including Blip and Grab Media, but uh, neither one of those really have the name of Hulu. So um, we'll we'll see what they do. But it seems like uh, Yahoo is definitely trying to to make some some strides and do some positive things uh, on a lot of fronts, and and this is just one of them. Um, one other thing I thought, yeah, that was that was really interesting was that Meyer was at Google when when Google bought YouTube, and I think YouTube has worked out pretty well yeah. for Google. Yeah. So I think she sees the the value, uh, you know, just from uh, or at least from that. Um, so uh, not a whole lot, I guess, to comment on that other than um, you know she is definitely. Uh, shaking the bushes there. And, uh, yeah, I've been impressed with what I've been hearing. I mean, she's obviously an innovator, and she's willing to make some pretty gutsy calls. So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I think Yahoo, time will only tell, but uh, my impressions is that uh, the Yahoo board finally got their act together in getting someone at the head of the helm uh, that's going to do a good job for the company. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I hope I hope she you know, has some real great success there because um, that would be good to see Yahoo kind of rebound a little bit. All right, the next uh, in, in our fun category, I did find one one uh, item for our fun category uh, this week, and that is uh, uh, the Fitbit. I don't know if you're familiar with Fitbit, but it's a, a device that you can uh, wear on your on your wrist, kind of like a, a bracelet. And it's uh, we've talked some about wearable computing, so this kind of fits in that uh, category a little bit, but. Uh, they've got a product now that um, is shipping that uh, uses Bluetooth 4.0 um, to communicate with your iPhone and uh, you know keep track of statistics. It it kind of competes with the uh, the Nike Fuel Band and Jawbone Up, and those are both wearable uh, fitness bracelets. Uh, but I think this uh, Fitbit actually has some additional features and functionality to it, uh, and they've got near-field communication in it and real-time syncing and exactly how all that works. I don't know because I haven't gotten my hands on one of these, but it did catch my attention uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but one is uh, what you had mentioned, Barrett, a few weeks ago, about uh, an application that you've been using a little bit that kind of keeps track of your your sleep patterns and and this uh, among other things will do that um, and it also has a a silent alarm uh, you know just vibrating on your wrist to uh, wake you up um, uh, you know so it kind of offer it kind of works as a uh, as an alarm clock for you a silent alarm clock to get you up in the morning, but it keeps track of, of, uh, your exercise and you can set, uh, goals as far as how many steps you want, you know, and you're trying to take, uh, during the day and, uh, has a little bit of feedback through vibrating, uh, as you reach certain goals, uh, during the day. So, um, it, it looks like it's a pretty simple device and, could be kind of fun to to utilize if you like to keep track of that type of thing. Uh, and again, the the functionality uh, is going to be fairly simple, fairly limited. But uh, compared to some of the other things that are out on the market right now, it seems to um, uh, be a little bit better than what you you can get. So 
Um, that that has been introduced called the Fitbit, and it's $99. I believe they've got a free iPhone app that, that works with it, and that's what it communicates with to uh, keep track of, of all that information during the day. So um, I don't know if that's something you need to, to get a hold of, Barrett. But, uh, <laughs> well, no, I've, I've been keeping my eye on that and the Nike Fuel Band. Uh, but I, what I've decided to do is instead of buying one at the moment, I'm going to wait and just see if and what and if so, what Apple comes out with in terms of a an iWatch. Yeah. Because yeah. it's possible that that will include some of these monitoring features through apps and things of that nature. Uh, and if it does, uh, I'd almost rather just stay within that same ecosystem. But but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you know it's a fairly inexpensive. Uh, Little device that you can you can begin to play with and and see how it works for you if if people do want to uh, try that out before anything else is released from from Apple anyway. And I don't know that much about uh, Bluetooth 4.0. I don't know what the the newest version of Bluetooth really offers. Maybe that's a little more uh, energy efficient. Uh, I don't know if it's got some additional what other additional functionality it has. We might have to to look at that does, in the uh, future. Does Bluetooth have any type of speed uh, issues? In other words, is one type of Bluetooth any faster uh, in terms of processing with its connected devices than another or not? Uh, I think that that may be part of the newer versions is increased uh, data transfer. So uh, that may be part of it as well as uh, more efficient. I don't know. Uh, I think most of the Bluetooth protocol stuff is is pretty uh, short distance, 30 feet or less. Um, so I, I really don't know. I haven't looked at the specs on that, but um, that might be something interesting to to uh, look at in the future. But um, I know they're definitely making some some progress uh, along those lines. As there's a lot of, of um, short distance communication that uh, can be. Uh, really valuable and useful in these kind of devices. So, uh, but I definitely think that the uh, energy consumption is one of the big issues because you know, if you've got these things turned on all the time, they can uh, definitely zap some of the some of your battery life. And um, you know that's one of the things that uh, is pretty valuable these days is to be able to get through the day without. You know, losing your battery. Well, that that's usually one of the first things I do when I'm if I'm traveling extensively. I will turn off my Bluetooth on my phone and my laptop, just yeah, to, yeah. Well, one other way to save some additional power. So. Right, and there may be some security uh, issues and and, and um, advantages to the later versions as well. So, uh, but that's just all kind of conjecture. We'll have to dig into it to see what it really does offer. Okay, well, that kind of covers the news from the last uh, week or two. So I'm going to move on to our our Learning Unleashed update. And I know things at Briarwood are kind of winding down as far as the, the school year is concerned. I know you still got a lot of things on your plate, Barrett. And um, why don't you let us know uh, where things stand there? 
Well, sure. Uh, well, yes, the school year is winding down once we get to the next two or three weeks of exams and uh, honor ceremonies and graduations and things of that nature. But ironically, uh, the uh, rollout of our iPad program, our one-to-one computing program that we call Learning Unleashed, is actually uh, beginning to take off at a faster pace now, So, uh, which I suppose that's good timing as we move into our summer. Uh, but, uh, Bill, as you know, uh, the school board voted unanimously this week uh, to proceed with the Phase 1 rollout. Uh, up to this point, we've been doing the, all the piloting and fine-tuning the workflow and our technology and our infrastructure and teacher training and all that and but uh, coming august uh we will issue all of the ipads out to all of our seventh and eighth graders uh, in august uh and we will be moving uh, full speed ahead at that point and then of course i know a little bit later in the show here you're going to be talking about ibooks but another component of that is uh, uh training teachers to develop their own curriculum so those two components are now taking on a greater pace of implementation and development. And so we will soon start seeing the fruit of all of this preliminary work over the last several years. Right. So uh, come the fall, how many iPads do you expect to be given out? How how many people is that going to involve? That will be an additional 300 uh, over on top of what we already have distributed at this point. Great. Great. Yeah, that will be a... That'll be a good uh, good number to work with. That'll definitely um, expand what you've got going there right now. So that sounds good. Now, what are you doing? Uh, do you have any uh, technology? Uh, uh, you got a symposium going on that you're going to this summer, I guess. So do you have any other uh, technology no, no, I, things going on? Well, actually, yeah, I just got back from that. Oh, uh, you did? I was, yes, I was there a week before the board meeting, uh, last, the week before last, uh, for a week in Vancouver. Uh, beautiful weather, I might add. It was in the mid-60s, blue skies oh, every wow. day. It normally is cloudy and drizzly <laughs> and cool, and but it was absolutely beautiful weather. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an international symposium uh, on the 21st century Christian education, and we had delegates from almost every country in the world there, and uh, I was giving a presentation uh, on creating an innovative school culture, which was one of my assignments, uh, and then we would have a long panel discussions throughout the week, uh, and we're in a room that's set up and designed just like the UN, so you've got all of you know, this rounded room and all the delegates talking and consulting together, uh, but this was the third year of a three-year symposium, and uh, it is culminating in the writing of a manifesto. Uh, designed to help other schools come to a, a better understanding of what 21st century education looks like. And it's not restricted just to technology, although clearly that's a big component of this, but it has to do with just the way we des- even design our schools. You know, what kind of, what should the rooms look like? Uh, how do you handle the labs? Do, do students bring their own devices? Do you provide devices? Uh, do teachers work uh, in teams or in isolation? A whole, a whole lot of different topics that are discussed at various levels uh, and with a great deal of expertise from all over the world. And uh, so it's really a fascinating uh, conference to go to, and I was privileged to be there in the last three years. And uh, th- they'll probably take a year off, and then they're talking about uh, starting it again uh, to refresh the manifesto. There's some talk that the next one would be held in Australia, in which case I'm definitely going. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's a it's a great uh, great symposium, and it helps feed into what we're doing at Briarwood. 
and we also like to think that we're able to contribute back uh, to that conference as well for a lot of other schools. So sure. uh, a great symposium. And then uh, this August we have Google coming in uh, for a couple of days, and we also have Apple coming in for additional training. So. All right. Good, good. Uh, and uh, with that symposium, how much would you say or what percentage of the the work that was produced there related to technology? In the classroom, I would say probably around sixty percent. Um, but there's also a pretty heavy component of just a, a philosophy of education. How, does it need to change? If so, how? Uh, and of course, being Christians in particular, uh, does it? You know, do those changes comport with our uh, theological and philosophical uh, commitments as well? Uh, and how do you bring those things together in a way uh, that proves to be highly effective for the teachers as well as students? It's really a quite an engaging conversation, and, and it schools by their nature, public or private schools, tend to be pretty conservative institutions. Uh, they tend to conserve knowledge, as it were. Uh, and what we're trying to do is encourage schools to perhaps it, they may have philosophical or theological commitments that are conservative in principle or nature, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their practices uh, and their technologies and everything need to be equally conservative. And so uh, it, it's a very stimulating discussion uh, across a number of topics. I got you. Well, that sounds great. I know that's uh, been enlightening to you, and I know you've also uh, – Probably provided a lot of good input to it as well, so uh, I'm glad you're you're involved in that, and uh, hopefully that will pick up again before uh, too many years down the road. All right, well, um, as you mentioned, uh, we'll be doing a iBook author training in just about a month or so there, and so I thought um, as I'm preparing for uh, that uh, training and some of the uh, subject matter that we're going to be uh, offering and covering during that training that uh, I would just kind of incorporate that today, and that's uh, on in iBooks. Now, we're going to be doing iBook training or iBook author training, uh, which I don't really want to get into now, but the uh, iBook application on iOS devices uh, offers a lot and I think uh, sometimes might kind of get overlooked if you're not really familiar with it. So I thought we would kind of talk about some of the features and capabilities of iBooks uh, on both the iPad and the iPhone. I don't know uh, if the iPhone is really a great platform for iBooks unless you really like to, to read books on a, on a small device. It can be done. Uh, and if you want to just refer to smaller documents, you can definitely do it on the iPhone. But the iPad is a great uh, uh, platform for uh, books, and uh, I think that's really was was the target for the iBooks application. Um, uh, some people may not realize it, but you can even uh, load it onto the iPod Touch, and it will operate just as it would on on the iPhone. So it will. Um, uh, you can load it on uh, all of those iOS devices, uh, but it is only a, a um, an iOS uh, app. Now, uh, interestingly enough, iBooks Author is a OS X only application. So, <laughs> you know, if you're yeah. going to be going to be creating your your iBooks, uh, you have to do it on a uh, laptop or desktop, and then you move that content over to the iPhone app, I mean the uh, iBooks application to actually uh, read it. So the way it kind of fits together is is a little bit unique, 
but that's how uh, they've they've got it working right now. I know a lot of people, myself included, would love to see the iBooks application uh, on uh, OS X on your being able to load it on a laptop or a a desktop, but uh, Apple has chosen at this point, for some reason, not to uh, make that available. So maybe in the next release or two we'll see that coming, um, but at this point that's kind of anybody's guess. So at this point uh, iBooks is only on your uh, your iOS device, uh, and it's not even preloaded. You have to... Um, to uh, download it from the App Store, uh, but it is free, and that might be one reason some people aren't really familiar with it, because it doesn't come on their uh, iPad uh, right out of the box. You, you do have to download it, so um, that's uh, that's how you get the iBooks app on your on your iPad. You know, you know, Bill, that that strikes me as a bit odd in a way. It, it seems like they would make that uh, an automatic app or default app, just like they do the newsstand or something. Yeah, uh, I, that's surprising to me. Yeah, and and I have not bought a, an iPad recently. I was wondering if they might have might have changed that, but initially, I know that's how it how it worked. And I know you still have to uh, download it for the iPhone. But um, I don't know if you know the answer to that on the on the iPad. But I've, from everything I looked, it, it still is the case where you have to download it um, as a, a separate application onto your iPad. So, um, but either way, uh, that's that's you know what it takes to to get your iBooks uh, on your iPad. And um, once you you do have it there, it's just a simple tap to open it up and. Um, there's about two or three different formats of books that it will will read. The 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 majority of books that are available and that you probably see in iBooks is what's called the EPUB format, and it's uh, very common. It's uh, probably one of the largest, uh, most acceptable formats that's available out there. There's a lot of different ones, but EPUB has a lot of uh, momentum and and a lot of people utilize it uh, for for their eBooks um, because it does have some uh, nice features, yet it's still fairly simplistic. But you can uh, search text, and and you can uh, on the iPhone and the iPad you can highlight text and have it uh, <laughs> speak the uh text if you if you like to do that i mean that's just part of the uh what ios offers uh, uh within the application you can also make uh notes and highlight things and and share text with others uh, you can uh create bookmarks and uh, it's got a nice index that's part of the epub format and it also allows you to change uh the text sizes and uh, I think two or three different backgrounds and colors to be able to read the text in. So it's uh, that that works really well, and it's fairly uh, simple yet gives you enough flexibility to uh, really uh, uh, customize it to the way you would like uh, to be able to read on your device. The uh, another uh, format that iBooks uh, works with is just plain old PDF files. So you can import, uh, bring PDF files into your iBooks app, and uh, you know easily uh, read those. And then with the iBooks version two 
became uh, the iBooks author and uh, the ability to create interactive uh, iBooks and, and kind of a uh, they focused on textbooks because there's a lot of things that you can do within a textbook uh, from an interactive standpoint. So they've uh, created a lot of, of uh, what they call widgets or, or ways to interact with um, with the book. And it makes it a lot more interesting and, and kind of brings alive a lot of the text and the uh, um, the material that are that are in the book, so that that is the third format. It's uh, actually called iBooks as the format, and uh, it's very interactive. So uh, those are what iBooks uh, application will read, and you can bring into iBooks and um, uh, use that as a reader to to look at all those three different formats. And then with version 3, I think we're on version 3 of the iBooks app, uh, they actually have opened it up to more languages. I think there's 18 different languages that um, the iBooks app will will read. And that, you know, for me, that, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But as we are um, creating uh, documents and books, and I know Barrett with some of the things we might be doing at Briarwood, there may be um, reasons to create uh, books in different languages to make them available to uh, to other parts of the country uh, or the, the world to be able to uh, use some of those textbooks that are created there. So that could come into play down the road. And uh, Well, you know. I'll give you an example uh, that even just for educational purposes where uh, to reinforce our language studies, uh, I could imagine our French students, our Latin students, and our Spanish and our Mandarin, we offer all four languages students, uh, would create small books uh, in that native language as a means of mastering and practicing the language. Uh, And then they would produce a product, and uh, that would reinforce. And also it could almost be a a portfolio of sorts to demonstrate uh, their their mastery of the language. So there are a lot of different ways you could use that even within the context of of regular instruction. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I hadn't thought uh, about that, but definitely within... Within the classroom, there would be uh, reasons and ways to, to utilize that. So so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then in the uh, iBooks app itself, uh, it, it comes by default, I think, as displaying a bookshelf that your books are uh, put in. And it's kind of a, a graphical way of displaying the books that you have. But you can also change that to just a listing format, which uh, some people may be uh, more accustomed to or, or like to see um, their list of books in that type of a of a display. So you got those two options, and then you've also got the ability to um, kind of organize your your books within collections. And uh, by default, the application has three different uh, categories of of collections. One is just books. Uh, another one is purchased books, and then a thir- the third is PDFs. But you can expand that, and you have the ability to add custom categories. So uh, if you want to uh, create as many categories as, as you want or need to keep up and keep track of things and organize things that way, you can do that and then just move uh, your books and your files between the different categories and that's very easy to do. So uh, that's a nice way to uh, keep track of of the books you've you've got in your application and and be able to organize them in different collections. 
Then um, in the list view, if you're looking at your books in list view, you can uh, sort them by titles and authors and categories. So you've got uh, flexibility there. And um, another thing you can do just directly from the application is go into the uh, iBook store. So uh, just with one little button you press and it takes you straight into the store where you can purchase and download um, uh, as many books as you want. And there's a lot of free books that are out there, and a lot of material that uh, is public domain, as well as uh, material that people have just uh, put together recently but have decided not to charge for it and make it available for free. So you can actually get a number of selections into your iBooks without you know paying anything. So that's another hey, Bill, thing you can look at. Yeah. Bill, along those lines, do you know if there is a relatively easy way to incorporate Gutenberg Press uh, that way? In other words, uh, is there a way to download uh, the you know the uh, f- uh, free domain, uh, public domain uh, books from Gutenberg, uh, and then import those into your iBooks? I mean, I would think that'd be a fantastic way to make uh, use of uh, that wonderful classical literature and other things that's available to you in Gutenberg Press. Yeah, I don't know uh, if it's not in iTunes or the iBook store. Um, you would have to do it external to the application, and um, I'm not exactly what the could. The, could you incorporate that through e- EPUB or something into iBooks Author, maybe, and then import it into your iBooks app, well, maybe, or something? Or not? Yeah, you, you could definitely do it, but it, it would be outside the app, and it'd take a couple mm-hmm. of steps um, to get around that. But I think you could, um, for sure. Um, go that route and uh you know you were looking at uh syncing books from from itunes uh to your your ibooks application and that might be a direct way to do it i think uh, you were looking at it from a pdf standpoint but you ought to be able to just uh move uh you know any kind of epub book into itunes and you could do the same thing so if you did it, you don't have to take it through iBook Author necessarily, right? Exactly. No, you wouldn't well, have to do that. As long as it's in the, uh, I think the key would be that if it's in the EPUB or a PDF type format, you should be able to do that. Well, I just had an idea. Um, just imagine for a moment we've got all of our students with the iPads or another school is doing something similar, and you 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 get uh, you download all these fantastic books, uh, these classics and others from Gutenberg. And you transfer them all directly into the student iPads. They literally have a huge library immediately at their disposal and at absolutely no cost. Right. Well, yeah, you could do that, or you might even be able to use um, your your iTunes U area to to store a pretty big catalog of of the books that you would want to make available, and then they ought to be able to. Uh, Import those into iBooks as well. Would, would that be a um, would that be a copyright issue? Uh, where could, uh, Gutenberg's all free and it's copyright yeah. free. Right. So I'm assuming that you could take that material and upload it to iTunes U. Do you know? I don't see why you couldn't, as long as it's public domain and huh. um, free. Yeah, you could do anything yeah. you wanted to with it. So and that's that's got some great potential for schools, I would think. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There might be something already available. That would work. Um, you know, people have already thought of that, and and uh, you know, have it out there. But if you wanted to really kind of customize it and have your, you know, a a uh, you know selective group of those books uh, for your own 
needs and your own grades and, and classes, then I think that would be the way to do it is is select those, put it into your own iTunes U private space, and then um, you know have your folks go directly to that uh, for whatever they needed. So, hmm. yeah. So um, there's there's a lot of ways it can be used, and um, you know there's a lot of flexibility there, and uh, you know got got a lot of uh, potential. So another thing that we were talking about earlier this week was um, how to to sync from iTunes into your iBooks, and there are um, ways to do that, and it's a little bit. Um, uh, it's not difficult, but you got to kind of know what you're doing because I know Barrett, you looked at that and and had to make some adjustments in in the uh, preferences and what you had synced over from iTunes into your iPad and you know you have you can enable Wi-Fi syncing and uh, you can enable collection syncing and there's a number of different little uh, settings that have to be uh, looked at in order to make that work. Um, and, you know, I don't, I think it's a good way or a good place to, to keep collections. I mean, obviously the iBooks application has a, a good organizational, uh, feature to it with the collections. But the one thing I don't necessarily like about, um, keeping PDFs type documents and all in there is, is when I move a document somewhere, I like to, see it be moved right away. And with syncing, you don't always see that. You kind of take it for uh, granted or you expect it to be done. And most of the time it is, but if it's not for some reason and you think it has been synced over and then later on you go look for it and you can't find it, then you kind of lose track of of what might have happened. I don't know if you ever, if you feel that way about um you know, keeping track of, of documents and organizing things. But that was one thing that, that kind of got my attention with the way iTunes syncs to the iPad and the iPhone is um, unless you connect it to the wire or kick off the sync right away or whatever, there's a couple of extra steps involved, and you don't always see it happen right away. Um, you know there there is, but you know what's really interesting though, uh, and I discovered this uh, serendipitously. Serendipitously, uh, I like to keep the the uh, PDFs in there, and I discovered that on the Mac when you open up iTunes, if you open up the PDF, it opens up your preview application, mm-hmm. and then you can annotate uh, all of the the PDFs and whatever you want to do. Close it back down; it stays in iBooks and through iTunes. And when it syncs, all your annotations sync up as well. Okay. And uh, and I did not realize that. So it's actually more powerful in that context than I had realized. Mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely good ways uh, of using that. And um, if if you get it down pat and you're comfortable and familiar with you know all the different settings and and how that works, and then that certainly could be very useful. You know, with with syncing over Wi-Fi. Um, uh, you know, there's several things that have to be uh, enabled to, to make that work. Of course, there's a setting in iTunes itself to basically tell you that um, you you want your iOS device to be synced uh, wire over the, the, the network. And, of course, both uh, devices have to be on the same network. And I have a... <laughs> I'm probably not very typical here because I have two different networks in my house, and sometimes my 
my iOS devices attached to a different network than my desktops are attached to. So yeah, I'm 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 sure I'm the exception to the rule, but I have to watch that occasionally too. But they do have to be on the the same network. Um, and then your iOS device has to be plugged into power uh, for the sync to to begin. Um, iTunes has to be opened on the computer, and um, both both devices have to be on the same uh, Wi-Fi network. So, you know, you've got to have those three things all lined up for it for the sync to happen automatically. Now, you can always force uh, a sync by clicking on the sync button in iTunes. Um, but again, that's just kind of an extra step. So, you know, it, it, it will, the the uh, documents will get synced up at some point, but that's what I was saying. I kind of like when I'm ready to sync something or ready to move something into a directory to, to see it happen. And uh, that's something that, you know, you got to kind of blindly accept that it's going to happen uh, at some point during the day uh, if you go that route. Would, would it be any better if it were doing it strictly through iCloud? Well, um, <clears throat> yeah. You can't see that, uh, but... Yeah, you can't see it, but it seems like it would happen... Generally, it would happen more uh, directly or, or or pretty much right away. Most of that uh, syncing through iCloud when, when iCloud is working properly happens pretty immediately. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that would be a, another way. Maybe they'll add that feature uh, in at some point. So, um, But anyway, that's just... Uh, kind of the nature of the beast and i wanted to point that out um some of those settings uh i don't know if you've noticed this but in in ibooks um there is a setting in uh, in the ibook uh, application area and settings that says sync collections and the collections are those uh, groups that i mentioned earlier that you can actually um uh create your own to add to the three that they already provide uh, but you can set that to on, and iBooks will keep your PDFs and, and non-iBook store books that are in the same collection. It'll keep those synced across all your, your iOS devices. So uh, that's another setting that you have um, that affects how the synchronization operates. But an interesting detail of that is if you do delete a PDF or a book, um, <coughs> out of one of those devices, one of the collections, it only affects the copy on that device. So, you know, if you delete a copy off of a a PDF on your iPad, it'll still be present on your iPhone. Have you looked at that, Barrett? Have you noticed that uh, setting? No, uh uh-uh. I need to look at that more closely. Is that on the iOS device or actually on the laptop uh, iTunes? That's on your iOS device. That's the, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, in your... Your iBooks application settings. Okay. Hey Bill, while we're doing that, I'm on. I've got the iBooks on my on my iPhone open. I don't see that. I don't see where you make those changes anywhere. Well, you, all, you've got to go into settings into uh, your uh, general uh, okay. settings. That's you know that's and, another. And then uh, and then you go under iBooks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I can see why. I bet you most people out there don't have any of this set up correctly. Yeah. Because it's pretty complicated. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot oh, of, I, oh, I have mine on, though. I do have sync collections on. 
Yeah, so. that might that might be set uh, by default. The sync yeah. collections by default. Yeah. Well, I just set my sync bookmarks. I didn't have it set, so that might be nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So so all the listeners need to be aware that there are definitely different areas that uh, you can control different uh, sync features mm-hmm. uh, for all that. But uh, once you get used to it and you understand how it all fits together, it can uh, it can be useful and uh, helpful to if you're really a a power user of your iBooks application, but as simple as it looks, there's a lot of uh, of capabilities and and features built into it. So um, it can definitely uh, be a help if you know how to use it. Okay, so that kind of wraps up our our uh, iBooks application training for today, and what all is available there. So we'll move on and. Um, move into our apps and followings and Barrett I'm going to let you uh give us a couple of apps and a Twitter pick for this week. All right. Well, I have two uh app picks for uh this episode. Uh, my first app pick is Byword. Uh simply put Byword is a very simple a text editing piece of software, uh, nothing fancy about it. It does handle markdown capabilities. Uh, but what I have discovered, uh, on the iPad, there are only certain number of apps that will let you use Text Expander for the automatic insertion of, of text and right. forms and things of that nature. ByWord happens to be one of those. And so what I have discovered is it, it has great application for two purposes. One, if I'm writing a blog article or whatever and I want no distractions, I don't want to worry about bolting something and indenting something, hitting, you know, pushing a button here, an icon there, that kind of thing. ByWord strips all of that out and you focus exclusively on your writing. But if I'm also in a meeting, uh, I have a text expander meeting template, and I'll just simply do the key command to insert that, my meeting template's there, uh, and then I will simply uh, at that point put in my notes. I usually have action items for myself, action items that I'm delegating to somebody else, and then I'm able to cut and paste those directly into my OmniFocus uh, project management software. Uh, and so in a very simple two-step process, I capture all of the relevant information that I need from ByWord and put it into my project management system, and I am ready to go. Uh, and it's distraction-free writing, and it works across all of my devices. It syncs through iCloud or Dropbox, and I have found it to be a very effective application um, and uh, like it a great deal. Yeah, yeah. So, and my, my second one is uh, a product related to OmniFocus. It's from the Omni Group, and it's called Omni Outliner. It's a relatively simple application. Uh, they also have uh, versions for your iOS device as well as your Mac, uh, and it is what it sounds like. It is a fairly uh, robust outlining tool to outline anything from presentations to the great American novel. But what I found particularly intriguing about it is I can import PowerPoint and keynote slides from a presentation. It will create an, outlo- an outline from my slides, or I can do it in, in reverse. I can create an outline and export those into my keynote presentation. So then I have all my outline finished without being distracted by the graphics and all that. And then I can go ahead and add those once I have it in my keynote presentation. So both of those applications I have found to be a significant uh, productivity boosters for me. Yeah. Do you know how much the uh, how much those are by Word and Omni Outliner? I'm thinking I had to look it up, Bill. I believe Omni Outliner for the Mac is about forty nine dollars, and I'm thinking for the iOS devices it's around nine dollars, ten dollars, something like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. 
All right. Uh, and then my Twitter pick for the week is Wired or Wired Magazine. It's at Wired would be the um, to follow at Wired, and they have nearly two million followers. And uh, it's basically a full-colored monthly American magazine and online periodical. Um, and uh, they report on how new and developing technology affects culture, the economy, and politics. Uh, and their uh, their iPad app is absolutely stunning, extraordinarily well designed, and their articles are well written, and uh, you will learn a great deal across multiple subject areas uh, with Wired. So I'd highly recommend it. Okay, great. I'll have to look at the Wired iPad app. I don't have that one, I don't think, but um, I know they've got a lot of good information, so we'll check that out. Uh, my app picks, I've got a couple this week too. Uh, one is something called Live Cams Pro, which um, it, it's kind of a unique little application in that um, the reason I became familiar with it was I recently added some security cameras around my house. And uh, this is a little application that you can tap into those security cameras and uh, just straight off of your iPad or iPhone can can uh, both see the video as well as um, uh, affect uh, the video. And if you've got a zoom or can move your cameras around or whatever. Um, and and so this is a third party application that works with a lot of different cameras. There's a number of uh, different security cameras available and this will app. Uh, will work with the majority of the cameras that are that are out in the marketplace today, and uh, you do that. You can set that up for your private cameras, and it's also got a feature that lets you look at uh, public cameras uh, that are people have put out and make have made available to anybody who wants to tap into them. And this is kind of interesting because uh, you can tell it you want to see. Uh, cameras that are in your community or local areas and it's uh, amazing the different things that pop up like I was looking at it today and there's some uh, universities close by that uh, are, are displayed and you can see different public areas on campus as well as uh, traffic areas and attractions golf courses airports just a number of different things you know cameras are just popping up all over the place these days and um, this little application lets you tap into a lot of those so <laughs> it's uh, just kind of a, a different type of app but um, it's uh, it's available for $3.99 and it's a universal app so it'll work on both your, your iPad and your, your iPhone but I love the ability to just be able to anywhere I am uh, you know bring up my cameras and kind of see what's going on whether I'm here at the house or you know, at the beach or anywhere else, uh, uh, if you got that set up. So that's a neat little app. And then a second one that, uh, as a, a video aficionado and one I like to uh, do a little creation, there's a little app that came to my attention this week called Action Movie FX. And it's just a real simple little application that allows you to uh, take a uh, quick little video from your iPhone or iPad and then layer on top of it some pretty pretty sophisticated effects and um it, it's distributed by a company called Bad Robot and you might uh, uh have seen that at the end of uh, some some TV shows or movies 
uh, as they are a, a producer, and they actually are producing. They produced the last Star Trek movie, and I think they're producing the upcoming one. And they've got a few Star Trek-type effects that are part of this. So I think what they've done is kind of made this available for free uh, as a little bit of a marketing uh, ploy. But um, it's, you know, how how useful is it? Not very, but it is kind of fun to play with, and you can impress your friends with it. Uh, so... You might want to check that out if you like to play around with video a little bit. And uh, you can do some uh, pretty fun, interesting little effects uh, in just a minute or two with this. And so um, you might uh, be able to, to impress your friends with that. And then my Twitter pick is uh, kind of along those same lines. It's a, a video type of uh, pick. It's a fellow named Larry Jordan, and he's kind of a... One of the top uh, video Final Cut Pro Adobe training type guys, and he he also uh, does a lot of editing techniques and filmmaking tips online, both in video, YouTube type clips that you can uh, pull up and get some quick training on, as well as some some pretty good write ups that uh, he has helped author, and so. Uh, anytime I run into something that I need a little bit of explaining or figuring out how to to do in the video area, I will check this guy out because he's got a lot of good information out on on the web, and uh, he has a podcast called Digital Production Buzz, and then he's uh, also can be found at LarryJordan.biz uh, on the internet. So. Uh, Bill, well, what, what's his Twitter? I mean, I'm looking at at Larry Space Jordan, but I'm not finding him on Twitter that way. Do you yeah, know I think the... it's I think it's at Larry Jordan with no space in there. Is that uh, I, I thought that's what it is. If if it's not, I will correct that in the show notes so our listeners right. could get to it. But I believe it's at Larry Jordan with no space there. So anyway, uh, that pretty much wraps our our show up today. So. Um, just want to remind everybody to let your friends know about us and don't forget to follow us on uh, the internet and you can find me at uh, on the web at billbrazil.com that's b i l l b r a z e a l.com and uh, also at twitter uh, on twitter at billbrazil same same thing so what about you Barrett where can we find you you find me on twitter at at uh, B Mossbacker, B M O S B A C K E R, and of course my blog, thechristianschooljournal.com. All right, very good. Well, uh, thanks for listening in tonight, and um, I think I have a feeling we're going to be off for about a month or so with the end of school coming up and uh, getting away for a week or so uh, at the end of March, I mean, at the end of May. So uh, we may be another. Uh, three or four weeks before we produce another show, but um, we will be back. Uh, Just give us a little time, Uh, but thanks for listening in, and we will talk to you next time.